welcome back to another week of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line with the movers and shakers, the film and TV makers, the producers, the directors, the writers, the actors, the cinematographers, production designers, costume designers, composers, editors, film editors, sound editors, sound mixers, you name it, and so many more. You name it, we talk with them. Um, very excited about today's show. Um, it's, a, it's a fun one that we're going to start momentarily here with our first guest. We're changing it up a little so that our one guest today is going to be here at the top of the show. But at the midpoint of the show, let me brief you on that. You're going to hear my exclusive interview with Paul White's talking about the very funny dark comedy, Moving On, starring none other than Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin. Uh, I can't wait for you to hear my interview with Paul. We have a lot of inside baseball or inside Lily Tomlin uh, jokes going back to the film they last did together, Grandma. Uh, but I think you'll enjoy it, and you definitely will enjoy the film. So you need to go see it. It just opened on Friday. But first, we're going to welcome a wonderful writer-director, Jai Bao Lee, uh, fresh off of South by Southwest and her... she. Competition experience, the world premiere of Once a Glacier. And she's on the line now, so I'm going to just kick it off and bring her live. Hello, Shaibo. How are you? Hi, Daddy. I'm great. How are you doing? I am so excited to talk with you uh, about <laughs> Once a Glacier. I'm still mm -hmm. relatively a novice when it comes to the VR experiences. And I have to tell you, I'm kicking myself that I was not able to be at South By to see mm -hmm. your in-person experiential of Once a Glacier. Uh, because the videos that I've seen, the little film, uh, the dance montage, uh, I am in love with this story, number one, that you have written, the whole premise. But boy, oh boy, to have gone <laughs> on that journey in VR, you know, wearing the headset, ah, it had to look absolutely stunning. It had to be an experience for anybody that was lucky enough to do this in person. Um, so I can just be jealous from afar. And <laughs> but I'm so happy to speak with you about this. It's such an interesting topic and an interesting approach that you took. And then technically incredible. Um, the whole the idea of glaciers i have to i automatically think back to chasing ice um jeff orlowski mm -hmm. yang's film from 2012 mm -hmm. which took my yep. breath away uh and yeah. that really set the stage for me as to how, what dire circumstances we're in with the disappearance of our glaciers um because i know jeff and his teams they had set up cameras and then they went back six months later a year later and mm -hmm. even the differences that we saw were just horrifying with mm -hmm. the ice that was disappearing but now you take the story of a glacier and you make it so personal and it's actually more or less from the glacier's point of view once as we're watching this poor glacier and this one girl who 
wants to save this glacier. It is so enchanting. The idea, you know, it just boggles the mind. Um, it's such a unique perspective. You know, what What was the genesis of this, Shai Bao? Yeah, so I live, uh, I hear a bit echo from, uh, uh, oh, I'll deal with that. Um, okay. I live in Alaska. Ooh, okay, I do hear a lot of echo. Huh. Um, I live in Alaska for a few years, um, and while living there, I go to glaciers um, every week, and, um, you know, it's so sad to see, like, um, they are gorgeous at the same time, but um, they're receding at such exponential speed. Um, so I started to create a series of glacier works um, from installation to interactive work to um, music, video, and dance that we perform on the glaciers. And then uh, this virtual reality film uh, was the next outcome, is the next one um, after those series. And um, I was actually uh, the girl kind of kayaking through the lake on, uh, melted from the glacier. And I take a piece of ice and bring it back home and try to grow the glacier by watering it in the freezer every day. Um, so that's where the, the story started. And I have to tell you, I think that anybody that even just with snow, I remember doing that with snow, trying to preserve the snow in the freezer. And adding water to it to see if it would freeze or turn into an iceberg. Um, <laughs> so I can relate totally to what you <laughs> what you're saying and where this idea came from. Now, what led you to turn this into? Because the the video itself, the animated video, is beautiful. It's so charming and so sweet, and the narration that goes with it. Uh, mm -hmm. Telling this story of I'm I that I even printed it out because it was just so so beautiful, um, mm -hmm. you know. Of was I am not alone, and you know this. I'm the keeper of frozen memory. Yeah, I can recite the whole thing now. <laughs> oh, I mean, it just—it's stunning. It is absolutely mm -hmm. stunning. And I just love it. Glaciers carry memories from the past. And they communicate their memories through glacier songs. They circulate. They transform. They are living. And yeah, you so that's from the, yeah, that's from the Inupiaq tradition. Um, and and uh, that's what, also why we emphasize a lot on the sound part. Um, so all the um, sounds you hear in the film, they are recorded on the real glaciers in Alaska. And uh, we've, we've, we've been surprised ourselves with so many different kinds of sound. Um, and different glaciers have their kind of own characteristic. Um, and there's this chirping sound that uh, you will hear in the film. It's not bird. It sounds like bird or forest, but it's not. It's simply just ice bubble breaking into each other. Wow. Um, and we can't find a word to describe it in English or in Chinese. And then uh, we learned that in the indigenous language, Tagish, both is the name of their tribe and also means the sound of the breakup of ice. 
So like how language is shaping our way to perceive nature, perceive reality. Yeah, the sound is just, I was just blown away by the sound because I knew that the sound was the sound of glaciers, the sound of dripping Mm -hmm. water, the sound of, I didn't hear any calving though. I didn't hear any sounds of massive calving happening. Um, There is a calving um, in the wild, while the the piece of ice fall in the cave, and the girl pick it up. It was not the massive coming. Yes, we did record <laughs> that, but we we didn't use that because it will be very unsafe for the girl to be in that cave and have that massive coming inside. Yeah, well, I've got yeah, because that's what I kept waiting for. Is don't tell me that she's getting sound of an entire sheet of ice, you know, calving, <laughs> you know, falling off uh, into the ocean or something. How did you yeah. how did you pick the glaciers that you chose to capture sound from and use as the crux of your animated animation? Mm, uh, it's the Matnuska Glacier uh, near Anchorage. Mm-hmm. Um, it is um, one of the few um, easier to access glaciers. Um, so, like, usually these glaciers take uh, several hours to hike onto, and then, like, the, the crew carry all this equipment to get there. Um, and uh, so, so Manuska and then also Byron Glacier, um, and, and because they all have, like, as I said, they all have different characteristics, mm-hmm. so the sound is very different. Um, like, one glacier may have a lot of melting and river sound or chirping, and it also depends on, like, the weather. For example, the chirping only appears when the sun comes out and you have like a bare piece of ice there and it's like directly under the sun. Wow. Um, whereas like some days we go on when it's raining or when, I, when it's kind of uh, overcast where you can't have those sounds. Um, wow. How long, over what period of time did you collect the, the sounds of, of glaciers? Um. It's, it's through several trips because um, the sound is also very different from uh, different seasons. Mm-hmm. Like in the winter, it's it's frozen and you walk on the glacier lake and the kind of sound that created by the crampons that walk on the lake is also different. Um, so there, like we have the winter sound, we have the summer sound um, where like summer you have more melting, uh, like the, the river flowing through. Um, I mean, collected both from Juno and uh, Anchorage. Yeah, so over around a year. Wow. Wow. No, because I just love the sounds, and I love the sound mix. And as as you watch the animation, and you're kayaking, or our, our heroine, our girl, is kayaking mm-hmm. through... Uh, the glacier and going underneath and a glacial overpass even it's just so beautiful and to hear the sound the cacophony of sounds is just it's breathtaking it's as mm-hmm. breathtaking also, as as a real glacier is yeah and uh this sound like when the glacier uh disappeared this sound will eventually also disappear so we are also trying to save this this uh, disappearing nature, this mm-hmm. last bit of, um, it's like, it's not a documentary, 
but in a way it is documenting the, the thing that is going to disappear. See, I consider this very much a documentary, like a hybrid, mm-hmm. a narrative documentary, uh, mm-hmm. because there is a definite, there is a message here. And I have to tell you, the final scenes of the animation in the quote-unquote museum, mm-hmm. that was so heartbreaking to see. So mm-hmm. heartbreaking. And I really felt like I was inside that cubicle, that display cubicle with that last piece of glacier. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sadness and the way that people are just blurred images circling around, either oblivious or just going about what they do. Um, very, uh, it really was very emotional, the way you wrote this and structured it, um, which mm-hmm. I found particularly surprising. I did not expect that level of emotion to come out of something like this. Thank you. Um, there, there was one participant during South by Southwest that at that moment uh, he felt, he, 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 he was wondering, did I come back to reality? Because that's, that was the situation. People walk around, don't care about what's happening. And like, um, so, so for a moment, he thought he has removed his headset. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. When there are like people walking around um, in that blurry mm-hmm. uh, scene. Now, I understand that for the live, for the interactive um, experience, there's also smells. Mm-hmm. People can actually yes. smell a glacier. They, they can, <laughs> yeah, they can smell glacier, uh, smell that uh, lifeless museum, uh, the smell of swamp, uh, and also the freezer. Wow. So how do you describe the smell of a glacier? Um, it, it's hard. <laughs> it's mostly the smell that can in, invoke a feeling of cold and freshness. And also there are particular things around glacier, like certain vegetation, this um, kind of forest around it, like before you hike onto the glacier. And also the smell kind of progress differently as you hike through. Like at the beginning, before you hike onto the actual ice part, there's all this like moisture, um, mossy smell. And then as you walk more, then there's the erratic kind of rock smell. And then as you go onto the ice um, with the crampon, uh, that's the like the very cold and clear, clean smell. Wow. See, now, now I'm going to have to be on the lookout for, hopefully you're going to bring once, once a glacier, the VR experience somewhere in L.A., now I want to smell a glacier. I, 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 you know, I'm sorry, Jai Bao. Yeah. I, I want to smell a glacier now. Um, I, do you have now? You just had the world premiere at South by uh, in the in the VR competition experience. Where do you go from here with this? Um, yeah, uh, there are some upcoming exhibition in uh, some museums and galleries. Some are in U.S., some are in China. Um, we are probably going to show it around some more festivals. Um, so we're doing festival and then museums and then more uh, public distribution. It might be on some like Oculus, Oculus store. 
Mm-hmm. So, yeah. now, so there, there can be more people just watch it from home. Wonderful. Now, how technically challenging was this to put this together? I know you worked with your sound designer was Matt McCorkle. You know, how, you know, how difficult because you've got animation, you've got this sound, um, and the sound had to match with this animation. I'm curious for you, how challenging was it to, number one, get put the animation together and then bring in this sound? And then on top of that, we have the beautiful poem that goes over everything along with some voiceover. Um, walk me through technically what you went through to put this together from a production standpoint. Mm. <laughs> um, in the sound, there's actually an interesting part where it had the brace of me and Matt. Like we were just doing bracing in the studio. And then in the like, I'm not alone part, you can hear our brace just like spin through. And it feels like sigh. We slowed it down. Um, and the one important part is the tempo, um, that there's the tempo of the uh, glacier sound and underneath the sound of the narration, the, the voiceover of the poem, and uh, make sure that the, the poem, the kind of rhythm, it's, it's all right. At the same time, you are not being too busy looking around. You are still be able to find everything. Um, Discoverability sometimes is a problem in VR, especially uh, at the interactive part, um, where like, which button should I press? Which item is interactable? What can I do after I grabbing all these ingredients together? How do I do to be able to water the ice with the handle? Like all this, um, that it actually go beyond the filmmaking, but more uh, into the in- interaction design part. Mm-hmm. No, the whole thing is just beautifully, beautifully put together. And then, of course, you've Thank got you. you have some scoring happening there. You've got you've got yeah. some under mm-hmm. you've got another undercurrent happening there. This this whole creating this could not have been easy for you. It's um, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can tell that. Yeah. yeah, there's there's no question because that comes through your passion for this subject and. This whole experience comes through in what I'm seeing because I watched the animation. I also looked at the um, your live, uh, the live performance that was mm-hmm. at Rain Dance with the dancer bringing the glacier to life, which was yeah, just so fascinating. That part is um, the gla- the dancer is embodying the glacier um, and uh, adding more kind of tension and intimacy between the glacier and the girl, um, which in the VR experience, uh, the glacier ice is less of an anthropomorphized um, being. But in the in the uh, live performance, you really feel this kind of birth and death of this glacier through this dancer. Uh, yeah, I mean, that live performance piece was absolutely breathtaking because first I'm focusing on the dancer but then I'm seeing the explosion of lights and things happening on the screen behind her with every movement and it was Mm -hmm. perfect it was just Mm -hmm. perfectly articulated uh melding you know film and dance for that experience 
what got you interested in VR? This is, it's still a very, it's burgeoning. It's still relatively new, especially to the levels that you're taking it. What got you interested in the VR experience? Yeah, I've been working with VR since 2015. That was the year that a lot of people believe that is the year of VR. But so far, I still haven't been that that um, the case. Um, and uh, at the beginning, I designed a lot of the actual, like the VR headsets and the um, like the different apps inside uh, a VR experience. And then when I get into Glacier, I feel, oh, this is a great opportunity for making a film in VR because you can know the contrast of scale of like how gorgeous and giant the glacier is at the beginning and how little it shrinks um, to the later part to, in the museum. Um, and also it has all this multi-sensory, you can, you can really embody this whole, how, uh, the, how the glacier feels uh, in VR. So I think that was a really, that, that's a really good medium for this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm making another one right now about bats. And um, it will be a mix of VR and AR um, that you will become a bat. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, in other words, the bat cave is going to come to life with hundreds of, of bats flying all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And, and you can try echolocation. Um, and it's a really good use of AR because of, like, the slant technology. It's basically also, like, how echolocation works. You send a signal, you hear how, how much it uh, take how, how long it takes to bounce back. Um, so the technology itself is a re- reflection of how the animal uh, sensory works. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> so now you're also, in addition to being a filmmaker, in addition to doing all this work with VR, you know, you're also an assistant professor at the University of Texas at Austin. What, mm-hmm. what do you teach at? University of Texas. Yeah, I teach um, uh, ecocentric design, interspecies co-creation, uh, bio design, speculative futures, uh, and media te- technology related arts. All this. I have a lab called Ecocentric Future Lab, uh, where we explore like material biomaterial innovation. Uh, we co-create with non-human beings like animals, plants, mycelium, artificial intelligence. Um, yeah, that's that's the area. Wow. So are your classes well attended? I would think probably they are. They are. They are fully booked uh, every every semester. Oh my gosh. So now how are you how do you balance going out to film festivals and other places with once a glacier or your other projects such as the live performance? Uh such as you had at Rain Dance last year. You know, how do you balance uh-huh. that they, with teaching? They inform each other. Um, and they they kind of build on top of each other. Like the research part, the creative work with the teaching. Um, like sometimes I bring back to what I learned to my students. Um, and some like a lot of my students help out at South by Southwest this year are from my class, from my lab. Ah. And it's, it's a great learning experience for them as well. Now, you mentioned research. What kind of research did you do into glaciers or in order to ready yourself and create once a glacier? 
Because I, mm-hmm. I suspect so, you did yeah. a lot of research. Yeah. Um, so this, this film takes two years to make, and the first year was mostly research and going on glaciers and record the sound. Um, so I work together with um, the glaciologist Marco Tedesco from Columbia University. Um, like the that dance, uh, dance, uh, dance video music, music dance video, uh, Glacier's Lament uh, is made from the glacier melting data in the past 60 years, and that data was uh, provided. It's a simulation by Marco Tedesco, um, and there's there's so many amazing research these years. Um, like for example, the uh, in the interactive part where you collect a bunch of ingredients to try to grow a glacier, that's from this. Um, uh, in the Himalayas, they believe that glaciers have uh, genders. They, they are, you can marry a female glacier and a male glacier and um, uh, grow them over years. And you can collect ingredients like wheat husk, charcoal, um, uh, salt, cloves, and then grow them over 10 years, and they use it for irrigation. Um, and interestingly, this wasn't well, well documented uh, in the past about like five years, but then later, like in 2021, there's more uh, more documentation out of this coming out. Um, and yeah, so there's the, the science, the data part. There's also scientists who uh, take the sound of that, the chirping sound, the breaking bubble sound, mm-hmm. and then use AI to analyze the melting rate. Um, so there are different parts. Some are like in 3D, in modeling, in simulation, there are people collecting the sound use AI to analyze. Um, and there's also the cultural indigenous part. There's a lot. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing world. Wow. And you want to leave glaciers and, and deal with bats now? No, I'm not leaving. <laughs> I am actually doing uh, a residency with the uh, Arctic, Arctic Circle uh, where we'll uh, go on a boat and then be among the glaciers uh, in the frozen ocean um, for for about a month um, and sail around the Arctic Circle. <laughs> wow. Now, hopefully it won't be in the winter, or will it be in the winter where, when it's even colder? That's a uh, spring-summer. Oh, okay. Time. All right, so you get a little bit, a little bit of not freezing to death. Okay, that, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a good thing. Wow. Yeah. This is, I am just blown away by this whole process and, you know, the, the studies that are being done on glaciers. Now, in addition to glaciers and bats, where else do you see yourself taking this whole VR um, concept? More films? Mm-hmm. Um, the, where do you see this being applied for yourself? Yeah, uh, film and interaction. Um, so in general, I'm interested in this um, kind of theme around interspecies co-creation, uh, where like uh, humans try to co-create with non-human species and understand their intelligence, uh, try to shift perspectives, and in a way try to in- interrogate ourselves. And VR, AR, is a really good tool to uh, do that embodiment and further that connection. Like it's really um, good tool for you to be in from another animal's perspective or becoming the animal. Mm-hmm. So how was how exciting was it to have once a glacier and this whole VR experience at South by Southwest 
with a as the world premiere? It's great. Uh, it's so wonderful. Um, it's nice to see how people react to it, and uh, like when they come off the out of the headset, how their perception changed, uh, getting their feedback. Um, and we we had a balloon installation uh, that looks like glaciers. Um, basically, you are entering a glacier cave before you entering the VR experience. Um, and I was wearing a glacier balloon dress. I uh, saw pic- I saw pictures of that. Number one, the installation looked beautiful, but your dress, <laughs> your dress was gorgeous. You look like little glacial bubbles. <laughs> yeah, and then I, they also shrink. They kind of shrink throughout the exhibition, so it's like how the glacier disappears. Oh the my! Kind of rate. Oh my gosh, Shibo. This is just, I am just so fascinated by this. This is just amazing. I can't tell you. Um, so now how long before we see your bat, your presentation, uh, your film on bats and your experience on bats? Um, hmm, maybe half a year around that time. Oh, that, um, that's not bad. I'm ha- yeah, I'm having two solo exhibitions in the summer. Maybe I'll have a kind of a prototype version of that there. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Well, Jaiba, this has been just so wonderful having you on the show. I hope when you get bats together that you'll come back on the show and we can talk about bats and echolocation. Uh, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because I can't, I'm thinking, you know, echolocation even within a glacier, you know, into into mm-hmm. the, the glacial cave. Um that's an interesting concept to meld the echolocation with the echo uh, within a glacial cl- cave. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I I, um, I wonder how the hmm, the sound or or if the IR camera would reflect on the transparent ice. See, look at that. Yeah. Now you have to try it. You've got to find out now. I want to know. You're gonna have to try <laughs> it. You're gonna have to. Let yeah. me know if that works. Ah, mm-hmm. Shaibo, this has been absolutely wonderful. I can't wait to talk to you again, and I can't wait to see more from you. Um, mm-hmm. I am beyond fascinated by this. And next time I'm going to be there in person to see your uh, your installation. You know? Yeah, and I'll let you know when I come to L.A. Oh, please, please do, because I really do want to know what a glacier I I want to smell a glacier. What can I say? Uh, thank you so much, Shibo, and we will talk again soon, and you have a great rest of your week. All right. Thank you for having me. Nice talking to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. So, folks, be on the lookout for Once a Glacier. I can't believe. I just can't believe it. Throwing microphones inside glacial caves to get sound. You can actually... Uh, somewhere I think they're going to be posting on the internet so you can at least see. It's a nine minute, it's like a nine minute and 12 second film, animated film with this beautiful poem um, that is read. You've got this young girl and she's growing up and she's, as I both said, that was her. When she was young and thought that if she took a piece of glacier and kept pouring water on it in the freezer, it would make it grow. Um, And 
it's just and it's it's amazing just watching the animation and hearing the sound uh then you wa- then if also a companion would be the live performance uh interactive performance that was done at rain dance last year and seeing movement exploding on the screen with glaciers just i i technology never ceases to amaze me and as i said at the top vr i'm still much of a novice uh with vr but uh I'm getting more and more interested in it, especially when I talk to somebody like Jaibo and see something like Once a Glacier. So as I get updates on where, this is something that I will follow up on, and as I get updates of where you can experience this, I will definitely let you know, uh, either here on the show or on uh, my website on BehindTheLensOnline.net. Wow. Wow. Glacier sounds so cool too, just so you know. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna move along here as I change all of my pieces of paper. And we're gonna pop into we're gonna move on to moving on moving on. And as I said at the top, Paul Whites, he is just so incredible. As a writer or director, being Flynn, Little Fockers, he wrote American Pie, About a Boy, uh, Admission, which he also, which he did with Lily Tomlin, Grandma, of course, which he did with Lily Tomlin. Uh, I love that Paul, and you're going to hear him talk about this because I put him on the spot and I asked him in this interview, will he continue writing and directing these films for the ARP crowd and with women? over over 60 and I'm happy to say that he thinks he will stay in this arena because let's face it folks we got we got a shortage we're all getting older I'm very excited I just got my Medicare card on on the Ides of March so forgive me but um, we're all getting older but we're not seeing ourselves on the screen on the small screen or the big screen so it's refreshing to have a a writer and a director like Paul who embraces what comes with age and wants to put it on the screen. And you can't do much better than Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda and then throw in Malcolm McDowell and Richard Roundtree. This, the film moving on is, it's funny. Um, Lily is provides snark as her character of Evelyn a cellist who has traveled the world performing with orchestras. And her former bestie and college roommate, Claire, played by Jane Fonda, um, she's now, she's been divorced. Her love of her life shows up at, she shows up at uh, the funeral for the wife of Malcolm McDowell's character. Uh, Malcolm's character is Howard. And Lily... Uh, and Evelyn and Claire both show up, as does Claire's ex-husband, Ralph, played by Richard Roundtree. And you can see she goes weak in the knees when she sees Ralph. But her big reason for being there is because she now wants to seek revenge on Howard for something that happened in the past. And... Evelyn and Claire start, they reconnect. 
their friendship starts rekindling as Claire tries to put in motion her plan for revenge. And along the way, we finally get to a reveal of what it was that she was seeking revenge for. And it's dark, but what's very interesting is how Paul structures the film. And he reunites with his grandma cinematographer, Tobias Datum. And Tobias keeps the film light, bright. The use of color is very specific. As you will see when you see the film, it is out right now in theaters, opened on Friday. Um, the production design and the set decoration. Set decoration here is really important. Uh, Amanda Hallberg does this, the set decoration here. And the little tchotchkes and the, and the little nuances of things that are placed in homes really tell us everything without exposition being wasted on developing a character. We get the backstory just based on the production design, and then the set decoration. And, of course, there is a lovely score, as there always is. But it's the tone of this film. It's a dark comedy that hides the truth, but the film is shot very brightly, light, and the visual tone, emotional tone, is kept light. The visual tonal bandwidth is kept light. Um, so it's, it works really well with the dark undercurrent that we're waiting to see that is prompting Claire to want to murder Howard. Uh, and I'm sure you've seen the trailers, which are absolutely hilarious. Um, one's involving gun, one's involving poison. Um, and nobody can do deadpan like Lily Tomlin, uh, except maybe Jane Fonda. But... Without any further ado, take a listen to my exclusive interview with Paul Weitz. I just talked to, to Paul on Tuesday last week. Um, so take a listen. And we've got a lot, of, uh, a lot of little inside baseball things in there about Lily and Grandma um, that I think you might enjoy, especially an anecdote near the end of the interview uh, about Lily and her 1940-something car that appeared in Grandma. So take a listen to Paul White's talking, moving on. Hey, Paul. Hi, hi there. It is so good to speak with you again. It's been a while since Grandma. I know, I know. We only do Lily Tomlin films. Uh, you know, well, before that, we did do Being Flynn and Admission. But yeah, Lily films are more important, though, I think. True. <laughs> I have to say, I was disappointed with moving on when I did not see Lily's car being implemented in this film. <laughs> it's true, it's true. Yeah, she doesn't have a driver's license in this movie. I had so much fun watching Moving On. I really love this film. It goes to a dark comedic place. You've got a big reveal. Did you kind of slowly start suspecting there's something really ugly? in Claire's past that's going to come out. But you cover everything, aging, death, financial woes, love, and then you balance all of these serious topics that people face. And thankfully, you have written this once again <coughs> for the ARP, ARP age crowd, like me. Uh, but you balance all of that 
with some incredible, it's snark, let's face it. Lily, Lily is snarky and Jane is hilarious with deer and headlight expressiveness in this film. It is just a joy watching this film, a joy. You know, one of the real strong suits of this film, besides this cast, I mean, you've got Lily, you've got Jane, you've got Malcolm McDowell, who makes miserable, old, cranky, and sneaky in art form, and Richard Roundtree, who is just elegance personified here. You go beyond those, and I am tickled to death that you brought back Tobias again as your DP. Be oh, yeah. Because the visual tonal bandwidth in this film, Paul, it is light and bright, it's not just in terms of the tone, the visual tone, but the physicality of the lightness and brightness, especially at the cemetery. You, Tobias creates a kind of ethereal and hopeful look with the light, possibly everybody is going into death at some point. You've got warmth with in beautiful lighting in Evelyn's suite in the retirement home. And then starkness and rich, dark woods that, he, that Tobias really compliments in Howard's home at the wake for his dead wife. And it all just fuels this story, but it is so well balanced tonally. What were you and Paul, what were you and Tobias? You know, how did you go about designing this entire tonal look of this film? Because it truly is wonderful. Um, well, thank you so much, and I'll tell I'll tell him <laughs> that you said that. He'll be very he'll be very pleased. Um, well, I think the first decision is to sort of not um, project the subtext of the story um, to uh, uh, to have a feeling of um, of optimism in it, and especially when filming like a you know a, a cemetery scene or something. Um, and uh, he, well, uh, he, he's able to do um, so much with with very limited means and limited time. Um, he, he loves Toby loves actors, and um, you know a lot of really great DPs as a director. You'll be sort of like standing around, and um, the actor will wonder what the heck's going on, uh, and it's very hard for them to get into the performance because there's it takes so much time. Toby's very graceful, um, and uh, and um, so we knew what we were going after, and then I just get out of his way basically. Um, he really knows what he's doing, and. Um, and then there was the production designer, Michael Whetstone, uh, uh, did a really lovely job as well. Michael's, um, Michael's work is just beautiful, and Tobias showcases it fabulously, especially when we get into Ralph's home and that dinner scene and then out on the patio. And the set decorator, Amanda Hallberg, this is so important in this film, the set decoration, for really telling us who these people are in Ralph's home. It's beautifully apportioned. It speaks to money in Howard's home. It's more old school, older money. Evelyn is a life well lived. It's softer, it's gentler. That, everything, the tchotchkes, everything, 
and then the color balance that comes in with it all. You've got soft tones and mint greens and soft browns that surround Evelyn. Howard is Howard. Ralph is, you know, richer, richer tones. The shirts that he wears. And then Jane's character of Claire, the starkness and the contrast of her to everybody else with the red coat, wearing black, the white hair, it is, and driving a red car. You've got very specific color patterns here signifying each person, and it works so beautifully and is carried through into the set design and the decor. This obviously required a lot of thought here, Paul. How did you go about deciding on your use of color in this film and the color palettes? In terms of Jane, it was really her. Like She, she started sending me pictures of herself as the character um, well before filming. And, um, and, uh, and then we sort of started to map out sort of when, you know, when the character would be wearing that really stark red lipstick, um, uh, how she was kind of girding herself for the situation. And, um, and then we also looked through like JC Penny catalogs in, uh, in Cleveland and stuff, um, to figure out where she might've like gotten some of her clothes. Um, <laughs> And uh, with Richard, um, we talked early on about, um, you know, I asked him what, what kind of records, what kind of albums he might have, what, what his character's job was, and we sort of came up that he was a, a lawyer, possibly, in the entertainment industry or something, um, but that, um, that one of his prized possessions was this uh, a record player. So that was a place where um, the, you know, where the production department a little bit of their money, which was to get the, the sort of um, stereo that Richard had. Um, and in, in terms of um, well, in terms of Howard, um, you know, those craftsman homes can appear a little like prison-like. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted that effect. Um, and uh, and then it was also sort of you know talking with Malcolm about what his character did for a living and. We kind of determined that he was a dentist, but that he made money with some invention that he patented for dental, sort of dental um, uh, apparatus. And uh, so it's nothing that you see where there's like awards from from uh, dental societies on the on the shelves, along with pictures of his kids and grandkids. Um, uh, and Lily's thing was really sort of like I I, I grew up. Um, uh, one of my mom's oldest friends was a woman named Warren O'Brien, who was a bass player, who was the first woman hired by the New York Philharmonic on a permanent basis. And um, so she would always tell me about travel, about traveling with the orchestra. And um, so I knew I wanted it to be full of things that she brought in from her life that are sort of, um, you know, brought into this, uh, um, this home that she's in now. And um, yeah, but, but thank you so much for, for focusing on that. I really appreciate it. I just love that attention to detail in this one because you don't waste t any time on exposition. All anyone has to do is look at the worlds that each one of these individuals is in, and right away you know who this person is. And, and I really, I absolutely love that. Now, you know, you'd worked with Malcolm before, you worked with Lily before, Jane comes in, Richard comes in, but... You get a call from Lily that says, write something for me and Jane. 
what does that do to you as a filmmaker when Lily calls and says, write something for me and Jane, and you come up with, and how do you come up with this story? Um, well, first off, I, it was, you know, it was flattering, and, um, and then I, 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 I needed to find the right thing, um, and I, I just, you know, I just had this image in my head of, for a while, the funeral scene, and somebody, you know, saying they're going to kill somebody at that after wife's funeral, um, and uh, then it's, it's really just taking their voices and and putting hearing their voices as the characters um, and having them sort of go on this sort of you know to some degree it's like a romp, um, but it's got really serious undertones. Um, and also, it, 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 it's not sort of trying to stray away from the famous films that they've done, but trying to use my perception of what of who they are. Mm -hmm. um, and look, Jane is a far cry from this character, but she's spoken very publicly about struggles that she's had mm -hmm. um, uh, and sort of um, honestly, the effects of male dominance on her life. Um, you know, she, she always says that she came to feminism late in life and she had a very obviously powerful uh, father figure and father and um, and uh, um, so even though she's such a powerhouse now you can sort of feel that she would be able to tap into a woman who um, was not able to speak her to speak her mind um, for a large part of her life um, and uh, yeah I, I, but I do think that, like, you know, part of the alchemy that happens with movie stars is you're, you remember things about them. It's like you remember things about family. Um, you think you know them. And, uh, and I like using that. Mm -hmm. Did you have any trepidation as go about going as deep into Claire's big reveal? Um, yeah. Because that, that's, uh, that's walking, a, you know, a two-edged sword there. For sure. I had trepidation about it, but I also had a greater trepidation about not going there. Um, you know, once, uh, first off, there had to be a reason that she wanted to kill this guy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, although I also think that if he had just, if he was just honest during the course of the movie, things might end differently. Um, but uh, um, I was more afraid of sort of watering something down. And, um, you know, when I was first, get into movie finance, I had some people say, oh, you know, I would do this, but I don't want to, you know, you have to water down this thing or you have to take it out. And I was like, well, that's not what I'm doing the movie. Um, uh, you know, I think there's a valid question as to whether you can have uh, a movie where there's comedy at the same time as, you know, deep, um, deeply emotional and disturbing the thing. But... Um, but I guess that's just kind of what I'm drawn to. And, um, and also, I just want to listen to my actors. So if Jane Fonda had said, you know, I, I think this is, you're not approaching this in the right way, then I would have just changed it or not done the movie. Well, I do have to ask you about working with Hilda Rasula, your editor, and finding the balance because of this, the darker sub themes that do pop up in here the big reveals that we do get, and yet the comedy. How challenging was it working with Hilda and the two of you finding 
this perfect balance because this truly is a perfect balance paul wow well thank you so much um and uh, thanks i'll pass that on to hilda um uh, I mean, Hilda is just really, really talented. I worked with her before a little on Moshe in the Jungle, mm-hmm. that I and um, uh, I really trust her. Um, and uh, she's—I um, mean, she has a good taste. And also, she—I think that um, you know, you live in a bubble when you're editing. You're, you're watching the film again and again, and you lose perspective. And then, you know, you show it to an audience and then they react, you know, you, you have to listen to them to some degree. Um, but, uh, um, uh, yeah, it, you're not sure how much of a weirdo you are when you're, when you're making the film. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, again, I really respect her. So, you know, she was, she was really key in terms of, of finding some sort of balance. Yeah, I mean, the balance truly is wonderful. Uh, and that's one of the surprising things, given the, the comedy and the dark and the heavier subject matter that pops up in here. One last question for you, Paul, then. I've got to know, are you going to stay in this world of writing for women over 60 and the ARP, and the ARP age audience? Because you do it so darn well. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think I will because um, you're able simultaneously to, I mean, I'll do different kinds of stuff, but you're able simultaneously to do the story that's happening on screen, but then also to be telling the story of the decades of history leading up to it. Um, you know, this story would be completely different for both these characters if they were, if, if they had come of a, if they were, had been in their 20s now. Um, you know, Lily would have had a very easy, you know, if she wanted to have a family, she could have had a family. And um, and Jane, you know, might have reacted differently to to what happened to her. Um, so uh, I, I really like sort of by the nature of it, um, being able to talk about history. Well, I love what you're doing, you know, with Grandma and now here again. You do need to do another film and use Lily's old car again. Maybe have it hooked up to a tow, though, so that you don't have to worry about it stop, stopping when you're trying to film. Oh, my God. But <laughs> that has stuck with me for years. <laughs> that is That story you told me has stuck with me for years, Paul. Uh, another job so well done. I love the film, and I am going to watch it again, and I can't wait for the next one. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, Paul, thank you so much. And you have a great rest of your week. Thanks. Bye-bye. And that was Paul White's talking about moving on, working with the incomparable, Lily Tomlin, Jane Fonda, and his wonderful production team, um, I encourage you to see it. As I said, the film is out in theaters right now. Uh, and again, a big thanks to, to Shaibo Lee uh, talking about Once a Glacier, which is spectacular. And as I said, if I get dates for when this VR experience is traveling around and where it's going, I will definitely pass it along Um also, especially if it comes to L.A., because I do want to smell a glacier. What can I say? But next week, uh, get ready next week, 
because we're going to be spinning some gold next week with, and I haven't decided yet, but I think it's either going to be the cinematographer or the writer-director of Spinning Gold. I'm leaning heavily towards my exclusive interview with Tim Bogart, the writer-director of Spinning Gold. Tim Bogart is the son of Neil Bogart, the founder of Casablanca Records. Now, many of you youngsters out there may not remember Casablanca Records, but have you heard of Kiss? Have you heard of Donna Summer? Have you heard of George Clinton? Well, these were all artists that were nurtured by Neil Bogart and were some of the first artists to appear uh, on the Casablanca Records label. Casablanca Records became a monster, monster company. Uh, Neil Bogart, one of a kind, let me tell you. Um, over the decades, he, he passed away very, very early uh, in life, but not without leaving a tremendous legacy. And having his son, you know, Tim, basically pay homage to his father and telling the story of spinning gold from the perspective that his father would tell it. Uh, you know, memories get a little fuzzy. Things get remembered differently. But all the stories that Tim heard growing up, everything he saw, interviews with people um, who were some of the, uh, his dad made into some of the biggest recording artists of all time. Uh, we go on the journey. It is an amazing film. It is one of my favorite films of 2023. Um, and next week, I mean, I can't say enough about it. I don't want to say too much right now. But it's got a good beat. You can dance to it. And you're going to recognize every song in the film. So, But next week, we're going to go dig deep into spinning gold so we're actually going to end what a whole 30 seconds early pam a whole 30 seconds early today so enjoy our retooled closing theme courtesy of the incomparable frank meyer who never did record on casablanca records by the way um and until next week, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens.